Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. The trade deadline is approaching. The Mets dominated the Subway Series, so I'm pumped today to welcome my guest, Anthony DiComo, to talk about the trade deadline, what the Mets are going to do. They could be doing some big things. Steve Cohen is ready, as well as a Jacob deGrom update and a bunch of other things with the New York Mets. They're the real deal. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Start the show already. You know, I'm really excited for this one. I talked a lot about the Mets on the last episode and that Subway series and just how much of a statement that was. That was a statement for the Mets. That statement was, we are a World Series caliber team and we are willing and able to beat anybody out there. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear today's guest, Anthony DeComo, beat writer for the Mets for MLB.com. This is going to be really fun. We talk a lot about the trades they're going to make, everything, Jacob DeGrom coming back here soon. But this one is big for me because the Mets aren't going to Met. And I know I've said it all year long, but they're not. They are the real deal. This is one of the handful of teams that could truly win a World Series. The writing is there. The framework of this team is there. They have been leading the NL East all year long. The Braves have cut ground in it for no fault of the Mets. The Braves were just the best team in baseball since June 1st. But guess what? That all led up to a clash with the Mets at home for the Braves. The Mets took that series, and now they sweep the Yankees in the midweek series. Edwin Edwin Diaz, who has the best walkout song in baseball right now, it's electric. He has shut the door. This team is a lot of fun. There's a lot of different things I'm going to talk to Anthony about. Edwin Diaz himself, Jacob deGrom, and then the trade deadline. August 2nd is the trade deadline, and the Mets are looking to be big, big, what's the word here? They're, they're looking to do big things come time the trade deadline is up. And, and who would expect anything else with Steve Cohen at the helm? They're going to do big things. They're already really good. So I'm excited to see what they do. But let's welcome on now Anthony DeComo to talk about that. The trade deadline, Jacob DeGrom. This is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoy it. Here he is now, Anthony DeComo. Thank you so much for joining me, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Hey, Ben. Yeah, happy to be on. So, well, one, I'm excited to talk Mets because the series that we just saw between the Yankees and Mets, the Subway series, was just remarkable. It was a lot of fun to watch just as a fan of the game of baseball. So we're going to dive into that as well as just some trade deadline stuff. We're going to get into a lot of Mets stuff here. But first and foremost, I'm going to hit you with the hardest question you're going to get this whole time. It has been five years since the Yankees have beat the Mets in the regular season series. Again, this year, the Mets have already at least tied the Yankees. Are the Mets the kings of New York City? (laughs) I'm going to get killed on Twitter if I say no to that question. Of course, I'll say yes. 
I'll say this, and you know, it's fun. The Yankees obviously have an incredible fan base. They do a lot of things really well. It seems to me, and maybe it's just because I'm around the Mets, but it seems like a different vibe when the Mets are good. Like you get all these casual fans around New York. You get transplants from elsewhere who want to adopt the Mets, who are interested in this team. And like when the Mets get good, it's just different. It's like the Yankees are supposed to be good, right? Every single year. So people don't even notice when they're in first place, maybe this year, because they've been so good. But the Mets, it's like so far and few between, at least historically, that they've been in this spot that when when they're up there, people jump on that bandwagon. And that's a good thing. I love it. And and all year I feel like I've I've been saying this from day one because I truly have believed that this team is different just the way it's built. I, I'm tired of hearing the Mets are gonna met and people are tired of me saying this, it's not gonna happen, but I'm tired of hearing it. This team is different, they're the real deal, and they showed that even more so on Tuesday and Wednesday against the New York Yankees, which is where I want to go with you next. You were there. Talk to me about the Subway Series, the atmosphere. It looked electric. Was it different this year than in years past? Because it looked awesome, man. It, it was. And it's always fun. Like, it's always a cool event for fans, even when one or the other team isn't good, which is historically the case. This year, they're both good. Not only that, this is the first time ever that they've both been in sole possession of first place of their respective divisions heading into the Subway Series. So, obviously, that is going to carry a little more juice and and you can feel it. Like the the players didn't even try to really downplay it. They were like, yeah, this is cool. This is a big test for us. And I think that's a good way to put it because a lot of these guys in the Mets clubhouse uh, with some notable exceptions, haven't played in the playoffs. They haven't played too many games in front of big crowds in front of sold out crowds uh, when their own stadium is rocking. And, And so they've never really experienced it at that level. This gave them a little taste of that. And You know, it seems like some Mets fans don't want to hear it, but this team is making the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to win the division or not, but they are making the playoffs and they're going to have to face those types of atmospheres again. So this was a really cool test for them in July. And I think you can pretty much say that they they passed with flying colors. Right. And that's my whole thing here is there's nothing wrong with saying this series meant more to the Mets. We all know the Yankees are going to win the AL East. They are the New York Yankees, and we knew that they were a World Series caliber team. We had some questions. We knew the Mets were good. We saw them play the other good team in the American League, the Astros. It didn't go as well, so I thought this was a big series for them, a big test, and I think they had more to prove, and they proved more than I ever... uh, They proved more than they even needed to. They dominated. It was a lot of fun, and to me... They proved that they are a a World Series caliber team and one of the elite of the elites of the National League that it has appeared so far they were this year. Um, But another thing I want to talk about, because this kind of closed out game one, Edwin Diaz. And not only do I want to talk about how good he's been, I need to talk about his walkout song because it has been stuck in my head for two days now and I can't get it out and I can't I just dance around my apartment I I watched the video a million times I tweeted it uh, before we get to how good he has been this year you were there you get to see this firsthand how cool is the Edwin Diaz experience from the bullpen gate opening to him getting on that mound it's awesome I think if you're a fan like that's that's what you want obviously when you go to the stadium you know what's funny about it is 
he debuted that, if I'm not mistaken, in 2020, and there were no fans in the stands. <laughs> and we would be sitting up there in the press box with the cardboard cutouts down below, and Edwin Diaz would come out of these games, and he was coming off that bad 2019. He would come jogging out. This song would start playing, and we'd be sitting up there in the press box like, okay, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> if he ever does this in front of a sold-out crowd in the playoff game, like that would really, really slap a little bit. Like People are going to get behind that. And lo and behold, like here he comes. And now that he is probably the best reliever in baseball this year, people have all the more reason to get behind it. You see the Mr. and Mrs. Metter doing it. I mean, it has become this event. And that's, I think that's cool for any closer. Like, you know, the stereotype when Mariano Rivera had Enter Sandman, that's the classic example, right? Like you get an entire stadium, 40,000, 50,000 plus people rallying around not only this lights out closer, but it just creates more of an atmosphere and it's got to be almost a little more intimidating for hitters. I would think so. Edwin Diaz has that now it's definitely not enter Sandman, but it's much more his personality. And I just think it's really, really cool for him and really cool for the fans. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned those because in the episode that I did yesterday, I talked about his walkout song and you know, I, I said, look, this might not be on the level of enter Sandman and Mariana Rivera, but this is on the level of, the year he's having paired with the walkout and paired with the year the Mets are having and the fans being there, it's getting on that level of elite closer with a really cool walkout. You think Trevor Hoffman, Hell's Bells, Mariano Rivera, Ender Sandman, uh, Papelbon shipping up to Boston, and now there's this, and it's really fun to hear. And, you know, it if he wasn't very good, this wouldn't be a conversation. But he has been the best closer in baseball this year. And you can point to others. Helsley and, and St. Louis has been good. But if you start looking at dominance, there's nobody close. He has been the most dominant pitcher in the game of baseball this year, which is where I want to go right now with Edwin Diaz. W- what? How are we here? Because he was, <laughs> he was dominant, and then he gets traded, and he's not that pitcher anymore. We saw flashes of it in Seattle. He gets traded. And we've seen little blurps of it here and with the Mets. And now this year, he's the best closer in baseball. What has he worked on? What has he changed to, to find the consistency that he has found this year? Yeah, I would say there's no one thing. Certainly, he's cleaned up his mechanics a bit, and that was a focus for him. And you can see that in his command. His command has been just outrageous this year. You look at kind of like his pitch charts. It looks like Jacob deGrom when Jacob deGrom was winning Cy Young's. You know, the fastball's in one spot, the slider's down below, and he's just not missing his spots ever. And uh, excuse me, I got something in my eye. But um, (laughs) yeah, no, it's been unbelievable to see that. And I think as that's happened, the confidence has grown. And any pitcher can tell you, especially any closer can tell you, that confidence is so key. Um, He knows now that if he gives up a base hit or he even gives up a home run, that's not going to beat him and he can come back and still get the save. So I think the combination of those things has been just unbelievable to watch and has allowed him to become this pitcher. There's been a lot of really good additions to this team, which is why they are as good as they are. Uh, But one guy on the offensive side, Starling Marte, all-star walk off Wednesday, walks off the subway series. He has been so good this year. And I still like feel still kind of, flies under the radar in terms of the national attention he gets. But he has been so good. Talk a little bit about what the addition to Starling Marte has meant to this Mets lineup and the team as a whole. Yeah, Ben, if you had asked me that question in spring training, I would have given you my stock answer, which is 
okay, this team hasn't had a real stolen base threat, that speed kind of guy who can change the game since Jose Reyes in his heyday. Right. And that's not really how he's done it. Like he's gotten his bases for sure. And he's done some things on the base paths, but he's done it by being maybe the Mets best pure hitter. Uh, you know, he got off to a slow start, so you don't see it as much in the numbers, but since May 1st, he's been hitting well over 300. He goes to all fields. Uh, he's just capable of doing so many different things out there on the diamond and then playing a new position for him in right field. He's been excellent defensively as well. He's got a cannon of an arm as we've seen in the past when he's mostly been a center fielder, but he's just been an all around player. And you're right. It, it does get lost because everyone focuses on Pete Alonso and that obvious power tool that he has. People look at Francisco Lindor because he's got the big contract and the things that he can do and up and down the lineup, there are good hitters, but Starling Marte really has kind of been the engine that has driven this yeah. offense. And I think it's, um, you know, without him, he's he's had a couple minor injuries that have knocked him out for three, four games here and there. And, and the lineup just hasn't quite been the same without him. So uh, last night or, or the, the other night with the Subway Series walk-off was a signature moment for Starling Marte, but it, it's been more about the steady day-to-day production, just two-hit game after two-hit game that's really <laughs> defined him this year. So that's on the offensive side. And he's just a guy that, if you know his story, he's so easy to root for. He has been through so much, and it is so cool to see what he is doing out there for a really good team in the Mets. And on the pitching side, Max Scherzer, another new addition to this team. And we saw it in the Subway Series, seven innings, no earned, six Ks against the New York Yankees, who have been the best team in baseball most of the year. Talk a little bit about Max. Obviously, that dominant start was great, but what has he meant not only to this team, but the rotation that even without DeGrom to this point has been so good? What is what has Max Scherzer meant to this team? Yeah, it's been a lot, and it's been exactly what you'd expect, but I think more than what you'd expect, <laughs> both, both on the field and off the field. I mean, the guy is, he did just turn 38, so at some point he's going to decline, but he's clearly not in that phase of his career just yet. But I think, you know, the second part of what you asked is, is almost the more important part. And fans have picked up on this watching on TV. You see him in the dugout uh, on days when he's not starting, he's never not doing something like he's never not with Chris Bassett right by his side or with one of the catchers right next to him, breaking things down. And these aren't nothing throwaway conversations. Everything Max Scherzer does has a purpose and he has imparted that even just by doing it. Other pitchers have watched him and I think it's made the entire rotation better. There's no doubt about it. So uh, I think it's not just the type of guy who's a great clubhouse guy, because obviously he's been their best pitcher as well when he's been healthy. Um, but when you have a guy who can do both and can really make your the rest of your rotation, the rest of the team better than the sum of its parts, that's huge. I, I think um, Buck Showalter the other night had a quote that was something to the effect of, He's a baseball player who just happens to be a pitcher. And, and that might be silly. <laughs> that might sound silly to someone who, who's not around the game, but I know exactly what he means. And that's just like, this guy knows what's going on. And just because he doesn't play every day doesn't mean he can't have that everyday kind of impact on the team. What on earth went into Max Scherzer's decision Wednesday night to use Pitchcom? Of anybody, I would think, nope, Max is dead set on not using it. He is not coming up with the times and using Pitchcom. And then here we are, Wednesday against the Yankees. Runner gets on second base. And for the first time ever, Max Scherzer uses Pitchcom. What went into that? 
So I, I thought the answer to this was going to be, oh, Subway Series, big crowd, like maybe it's an opportunity to test them out in those sorts of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't it at all. I asked Tomas Nito, who was catching him that night, because Scherzer had indicated that it was kind of Nito's decision. Nito said, yeah, the previous start, he had crossed me up and I had busted up my <laughs> finger on a pitch. So I said, no, 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 you're going to try this out and you're going to use it. And, you know, Max had some comments after the game that he doesn't really like the system. Um, <laughs> because, and not for that reason. He doesn't like it because he thinks he's really good at his complex signs and and has an advantage over other pitchers who can't necessarily do that. But I don't think that's the explanation that Tomas Nito cares about. <laughs> that's great. Uh, his his counterpart in the rotation, hopefully here soon, but we haven't seen him in over a year to this point. But in my mind, the best pitcher in on the planet Earth when he is healthy, Jacob deGrom. I know he's been rehabbing. He's been in AAA of late. I want to get a Jacob deGrom update from you and what we can expect moving forward after his last start in AAA. What can we see next from Jacob deGrom? Yeah, all systems appear to be go at this point, Ooh. which I know there's a, a segment of the population out there who's not going to believe it until they actually see <laughs> Jacob deGrom on the mound and pitching. It's been almost 13 months, but uh, the Mets don't intend for him to do another rehab game. They intend for him to come meet them on the road here, um, playing in Miami. And then next week in Washington, that Tuesday game, August 2nd, is the one you should circle on your calendar as the most likely Jacob deGrom day. So he'll probably only be ready to throw about 80 pitches in that one. But it's almost like, so what? It's such a big deal for this guy to come back at all after all this time that he's missed. And you almost don't care what it looks like. You almost don't, you know, don't care about how many pitches he throws, all this stuff. You just want him to come out, throw a few innings, come away from it healthy and take the mound again five, six days yeah. later. Because if he can do that, uh, kind of what I've said all along with this is if he's healthy in September and October, you're going to forget real quick about the fact that he wasn't here in April, May, June, July. That's what matters. And I, certainly there's some rightful apprehension that he can do that and just start his every fifth game the rest of the way. We'll see. But if he can, that's that's so much more important than being there early in the season when, frankly, the Mets were able to stay afloat without him. Yeah, and, and we have your tweet up right now. Buck Showalter confirmed that the Mets intend to have Jacob deGrom make his next rotation turn in the majors. Um, and, and like you said, look, I'm just a fan of the game of baseball. I don't care. I, obviously, I would rather this not happen. I don't care if he goes out and gives up 10 runs in his first start. If he comes out healthy that is a win for everybody involved most importantly the Mets his own team but so you kind of mentioned it there he'll only be ready for about 80 pitches so my next question for you was about restrictions on him so it sounds like there may not be he's just not quite built up yet um, and he's going to be built up for about 80 pitches but in the long run and start two three four and five are they planning on limiting innings or pitches or anything yeah, it's mostly just the fact that he's not built up yet. It was 60-something pitch. I believe 67 pitches he threw in his last mm-hmm. rehab start. And he's kind of taken that progression slowly. He hasn't even been building really on 15 pitches plus on each successive rehab start. It's been closer to 10. So it might be two three starts before he's capable of throwing 100 pitches. And, and that's what we're looking at right now. To answer your question, do I think there's a start this season in the regular season? where Jacob DeGrom goes out and throws 110, 115 pitches, I'd be pretty surprised. Mm -hmm. I think the Mets are going to be real careful with this guy down the stretch. Now, if you get into a, you got to win this game to win the division or 
certainly once you get into October and, and you're sitting there trying to advance, you're in elimination games, things like that, then maybe you can start throwing those things out the window. But by that point, he'll have hopefully been healthy for you for a couple of months and, and you've got a workload to draw upon. So right now it, it's about him coming out of all of this healthy. Uh, you know, I'm with you. It almost doesn't matter how he performs. I don't think there's any scenario in which he gives up a whole ton of <laughs> runs um, just because he is that good. And the stuff was there certainly in the rehab outings. I'll be curious to see what his velocity is. He was backed off a little bit in that final rehab start. He topped out around 98 earlier in his rehab. He was up to hundred, 101. So we'll see when the adrenaline takes over where he's at. But um, yeah, the goal right now is just to have him healthy and starting every fifth day. So before the season started, kind of the biggest news with DeGrom was that he intends to opt out. I wonder, is that still the same? Here we are. He hasn't pitched in almost 13 months, like you said. He's going to hopefully, let's say best case scenario, he pitches the full second half of the year. From August 2nd on, he pitches, he's healthy, he looks good. Is his intention there still to opt out? And if so, how does this injury stuff, how does that affect his contract talks moving forward? Yeah, the last time he was asked about this publicly, I actually asked him when he was first diagnosed with that stress reaction, and we found out that he was going to miss probably at least the first two months of the season. And I asked him that exact question. I said, does this affect your plans to opt out? And he was stone-faced, no, I'm still going to opt out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And so I I suspect that the next time he's asked, the answer is going to be the same. And, uh, you know, that wouldn't surprise me because that best-case scenario that you just described, if he does that, and he goes and he's great for two months of this season. He's great in the playoffs. He looks like Jacob deGrom. Then he's going to get paid and he's probably going to get more than the 60 something million he's got re- remaining on his contract. Um, it becomes very interesting and very risky, I would say, if he gets hurt again at some point over the final two months, if he's just not the same type of pitcher and you know, he's getting up there in age as well. So how will teams evaluate him? I think certainly there are always going to be some teams out there that are willing to give him a Max Scherzer style, super high AAV, super short-term contract. Um, is that going to be worth it for him? How much does he value the idea of being a Met for life, of being the guy who's going to get his jersey retired someday if he stays and all of that stuff? Um, those are personal things that I can't answer for him and that I'm sure he has thought about in the past. But uh, in terms of just the financial side of it, if he does pitch well, there's a little downside for him to opting out other than maybe risking the fact that the Mets won't be the highest bidder. Yeah, so he's in a pretty good place, at least coming back at this point. If he pitches well for the rest of the year, opt out, go make a bunch of money. If not, if there's still some injuries involved, don't opt out and and he'll be just fine still. Um, so fingers crossed, August 2nd is the big day for him. August 2nd is also a really big day around Major League Baseball. So I want to transition now to the trade deadline and the Mets and and what they're going to do. I guess first off, how aggressive with a team that has been really good and elite in the NL East and and all of the National League, how aggressive are we expecting the Mets to be this coming week? Reasonably so. Um, You know, if you're asking me if they're going to go out and get Juan Soto, I, I would be surprised, not because there's not a desire there, just because there's going to be so much competition for a guy like that. Uh, The Mets are going to have some hesitancy to really sell off basically their entire farm system to get a guy like that. But that doesn't mean they can't make big moves. Uh, There are other players out there, whether it's Wilson Contreras, who I think is an excellent fit for them on the offensive side. 
Uh, Trey Mancini makes some sense. Um, you know, Josh Bell to a certain extent, although less so since they got Daniel Vogel back. There are definitely bats out there that the Mets can get that would make a big, big difference who are not named Juan Soto. And, and then even if they do nothing else, just going out and getting a really good reliever, particularly a really good lefty reliever, because they've had very little value from the left side this year out of the bullpen, that would make a big difference. Um, let's not forget you do have Jacob deGrom coming back, but uh, you know, I think in the past, people almost don't want to hear that because past Mets regimes have taken that and they've, there's always been an injured star coming back. And they've always said, well, it's like making a big trade at the deadline. You're getting the superstar <laughs> back. Uh, this is not that. And I want, I want that to be clear to people because, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Ben, I think there's, there's almost this lag between Steve Cohen buying the team, changing that sort of culture, and fans kind of believing that things are different. I think you will see now, especially at this trade deadline, that things are going to be different. And yes, they have Jacob DeGrom coming back, but they're also going to make some moves. They're going to get at least one reliever, maybe two. And I'd be pretty surprised if they don't upgrade still the offense, even though they already made one move there with with Vogelback. So you mentioned Wilson Contreras, and to me, on the surface, it seems like a perfect fit. So there's got to be interest there. And the catcher position for the Mets this year, McCann dealing with injuries. Thomas Nito has been, you know, kind of dealing with some stuff as well and not great at all times, up and down there as well. So the catcher position is a position that they they need and and they can really update. If you look at the team as a whole, like you said, bullpen one area, just bridging the gap to Edwin Diaz and catcher. So how heavy, how hard are they pushing for Wilson Contreras? Is that something that they are actively really trying to pursue? Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, um, you know, it would be a disservice not to at least look into it. And look, if the price winds up being crazy, uh, does it make sense at that point? It, it really depends on, on what that comes down to. The Cubs certainly have a lot of incentive to trade Contreras. The Mets, as you said, have a ton of incentive to acquire him, not only because he can catch, but he all can, He also can serve as a DH a lot. You know, He's going to need to learn that pitching staff. James McCann, for all his injury troubles and offensive struggles, has been excellent at receiving this year. Um, he's been excellent at pitching, all those things that he's been known for. So certainly he could do a lot to help Wilson Contreras to ease that transition. And then you have those two guys kind of in tandem at the catcher position with Contreras playing DH when he's not catching. That's a really nice mix. I think that complements your lineup. It makes your lineup a lot better going forward. So it's one of those things that to me on paper, it almost makes too much sense (laughs) not to happen, but it it does take two to tango. It does need to be a fair deal for both sides. I, I think, you know, barring some other teams swooping in, they will get there. Um, but you know, it's the trade deadline and if it can happen, and certainly there are other teams who would be happy to have Wilson Contreras. Absolutely. Last one for you here. And this just comes to mind when you're thinking how aggressive they will be to, to go get certain players. Steve Cohen, since he's come on board has been one of the more aggressive owners in terms of opening up the paycheck and paying guys during free agency. How much of a factor 
is Steve Cohen playing around the trade deadline, as in pushing the GM to get things done, pushing him to make that big move, because it's really, this isn't really a money thing yet. This is a acquiring a player for big prospects, which he hasn't been around a ton to, to deal with that. How active is Steve Cohen in, in these trade deadline type situations? Yeah, my sense is that, you know, he is not the type of owner who's going to come in and say, oh, I don't want you to get Wilson Contreras. I want you to get, Mm -hmm. you know, this guy instead. No, I don't think he's that. I think he trusts his baseball people to make the baseball decisions. But I also think he wants them to make a move. He wants them to get better offensively. He sees the same thing that we all see. And he's willing, as you said, to open up the checkbook to do it. You know, the Mets regardless of what they do at the trade deadline are probably going to have to bump that payroll up past the final luxury tax threshold past 300 million for the first time in franchise history. They're going to spend a lot of money. They're already spending a lot of money and they're going to spend more money to do it. Um, I think Steve Cohen is motivated. He senses an opportunity. He knows it's not every year, even with the best franchises that you have a real chance to win a world series. And if you come down the stretch here with a healthy DeGrom, healthy Scherzer, the rest of the team looking the way it has looked for most of the season, that's a chance. It's not saying you're going to win the World Series, but you have a chance to. And you're one of a handful of teams that can really look in the mirror and say, we're legit. If things break right, we can win this thing this year. And I don't think he wants to waste that opportunity. There are a handful of teams. The Mets are in that handful. Nobody in October wants to face Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom back-to-back in a short playoff series and then have to deal with that offense as well. The Mets are the real deal. I've been saying it all year long. The Mets aren't going to Met. Get it out of your vernacular. It's not happening. They're really good. And, Anthony, that's why I wanted to have you on, talk a lot about the Mets, what they're going to be doing this next couple of weeks. And uh, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. This has been a blast. And, and come back on anytime. You got it. Thanks, Ben. Always happy to come on. Appreciate it. See ya. All right, I just wanted to thank Anthony again for joining me. That was a lot of fun. One, I'm jealous he was there at the Subway Series. It was electric, and as he said, one of the loudest he's ever heard that stadium. So that was really cool. Let's see what the Mets do. They're really good. The trade deadline is coming. The best teams, the World Series winners, they improve their team at the trade deadline, and the Mets are going to do just that. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope you all realize just how good the Mets really are. And that does it for this episode. Make sure you like, subscribe anywhere you're listening to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, also social media. We are everywhere on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube as well. You can watch every single episode on this beautiful set on YouTube, Flippin' Bats Pod as well. Thank you all for listening. This one has been a lot of fun. And I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats.